Good morning, church family. Welcome, everybody. Cafe folks, uh, welcome to you all as well. Anybody, Facebook Live, YouTube, joining us by audio or video podcast. Perry, Oklahoma, we love you guys so much. Welcome to all of you. Open your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings. And as you turn, uh, let me just talk about a couple of things that are important to the church family. First off, uh, praise the Lord for Harper Cornwell's baptism. I love that so much. I love any opportunity to celebrate salvation in that way. Uh, let me just remind you, if, if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior but haven't been baptized, y'all, there's water in that tub right there. I, I can fix that for you. And I'm not joking. I'm really not. I know some of you put that off. Some of you put off for years and years and years. Why, why are you putting that off? It's a step of obedience. It's not going to add anything to your salvation, but it is going to add something to your walk with Christ because it's a step that you've skipped. So go back and follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And again, we can do it anytime you're ready to do it, but, but why, why not today? The clothes you have on are not that nice. Uh, they, can, they can dry. Uh, so again, top of the next service, just stick around. We'll baptize you or 11 o'clock service or tonight or whenever. Uh, it's always appropriate to do what the Lord has called you to do. So, so, so don't put that off. Um, also, just to let you know, uh, Nancy Church, one of our uh, just dear church members, died this week. Nancy uh, was 94. I think she's been a church member since 1955. I know a lot of you who are newer wouldn't know Nancy. She's been shut in for some time, but such a dear lady and a, and a dear lady to me. Really going to miss Nancy. Uh, oh my goodness, y'all, I remember as when I was a teenager in the church, when they were trying to make Nancy join the senior adult group, and she was 55, which means she's a year younger than I am right now, which is crazy in my head. Uh, but Nancy wouldn't join because she didn't think she was old enough, and Brother Morris just kept on her. Eventually, Nancy became the leader of our senior adult group, and she was fantastic and fun. She really was. Those were such good years. Uh, one day, I, uh, sorry, y'all, I just love Nancy. Uh, one day... Um, a worker came to do something underneath her house, got up under the crawl space, and Nancy didn't know he was there. So Nancy came out and saw the crawl space door open and closed it and, and trapped herself a man under the house, which was just the funniest thing ever. All the ladies at church said, way to go, girl, because she, she trapped herself a man under the house. It's just, uh, you could just laugh and laugh and laugh with Nancy. She was so much fun. Uh, she has suffered in the last few years, though, so God bless her soul. Uh, she is at rest, and she is with the Lord. Uh, also, um, I'm going blank on her name. Uh, Betty Tarter, Carol Chandler's mother. Uh, you know, Scott and Carol left here to go be pastor at Providence Knob. Uh, Carol's mother, Betty, died this week as well, and we'll have a funeral, I believe, on Tuesday. So if you know Carol, uh, if you remember Betty from here at church, uh, also, you might want to reach out to them. Um, we have a, a number of folks with COVID this week. We'll just keep everybody in prayer. I appreciate those of you who wear your mask. Uh, feel free to do so. Wear, I don't care how many you wear. Wear them all over yourself uh, if, if you want to. You're only being smart and wise and continue to do so. F feel blessed in that. Um, uh, Karen Ball, one of our church ladies, has been on the liver transplant list for what seems like ever. We've been praying for her forever. She got a liver this week, you all. She had liver transplant surgery at Vanderbilt Hospital, is recovering there. So keep Karen Ball in your prayers. That's a tremendous answer to prayer. Uh, I, I could go on. Uh, I'm sure there are other needs, uh, and I'm sorry if I've left out something important. But uh, let's just stop and go to the Lord in prayer. L let's just pray. God, we just love you for the... Uh, way you make us family. God, we don't always love each other perfectly because we're not perfect, but we love you 
Because we love you, you continue to put love in our hearts for one another, Lord. And I pray that day by day we get better at loving each other better. Lord, surely uh, great saints like Nancy Church and Betty Tarter, Lord, they showed us how to do it, Lord. I've never seen such a dear, precious, loving woman. Thank you for all of the ways she served us and, and served this church, Lord. She's one of those that has been the backbone of our church for so many years. Lord, bless her. And I thank you for the young women that you're raising up even now to, uh, to follow in her footsteps, Lord. Bless our church continually. Lord, we pray for all those who are struggling, all those in the hospital, all of those whose hearts are heavy with grief today, Lord. In the midst of celebrating salvation and all the good things you do, Lord, let us not forget to bear one another's burdens. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today, to be preaching your word today. Lord, will you make it so that I'm not the one seen even though I'm visible? And when you make it, that my voice is not the voice that it's heard even though my voice is the one speaking. Lord, God, I pray that you will be lifted up high in this place today so that uh, men, women, boys, and girls can see you. And I pray, Lord, that through your word you will speak today in such a way where our hearts will hear your voice and respond. I pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Second Kings is where we are this morning, so jump right in with me. We've been in First Kings, uh, looking at the stories pertaining to the prophet Elijah. We're just about to run out of stories about Elijah, and we'll be talking about Elisha after that in the book of Second Kings. So cross on over to the book of Second Kings with me. One last story pertaining to uh, Elijah alone, and it's in the first chapter here. I've never heard this story preached. I've never preached this story, uh, but uh, I'm, excited. I'm about to, y'all, so we're going to see how that goes. Second uh, Kings and First Kings, just think of them as one book. It's just a continuation. It's one story. Second Kings picks up exactly where First Kings leaves off. And First Kings leaves off with the death of Ahab. Remember, Elijah's been confronting the wicked King Ahab, his wicked wife Jezebel. But last Sunday, as we read, King Ahab repented. So because he repented, the, the, the condemnation, the curse that was pronounced upon his house, the Lord postponed that till after he died, but then he died, and now it's about to kick in now. King Ahab died, and the dogs licked up his blood exactly as the prophet Elijah said. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel had a, a, a no-good son named Ahaziah. He took the throne after Ahab. Uh, he wasn't king very long. And, and that's where we pick up today. He was king for two years uh, because the, the doofus fell off the palace roof. Uh, and, and this is where the story picks up. Second Kings chapter 1. Uh, uh, hang on, y'all. This is a wild story. Y'all ready? Second uh, Kings chapter 1, verse 1. After King Ahab's death, the land of Moab rebelled against Israel. One day Israel's new king Ahaziah fell through the latticework of an upper room at his palace in Samaria and was seriously injured. So he sent messengers to the temple of Baalzebub, the god of Akron, to ask whether he would recover. Angel of the Lord told Elijah, who was from Tishbe, go and confront the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is there no god in Israel? Why are you going to Baalzebub, the god of Akron, to ask whether the king will recover? Now, therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will never leave the bed you're lying on. You will surely die. So Elijah went to deliver the message. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked him, why have you returned so soon? They replied, 
A man came up to us and told us to go back to the king and give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Is there no God in Israel? Why are you sending men to Beelzebub, the God of Akron, to ask whether you will recover? Therefore, because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you're lying on. You will surely die. What sort of man was he, the king demanded? What did he look like? They replied, he was a hairy man. <laughs> we don't really, we don't know what to say. Either he was a hairy man or he wore like a garment of fur. Uh, we don't know, but one way or the other, they describe him as furry, all right? Uh, they replied, he was a furry man and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Elijah from Tishba, the king exclaimed. So he sent an army captain with 50 soldiers to arrest him. Isn't that interesting? I don't know what Ahaziah knows about Elijah. He, he, he must have seen what happened between his daddy Ahab and Elijah. I don't know, but I mean, it doesn't sound like he's ever really met him, but mm, he knows all about him. So here he go, he's going to arrest him. Sent an army captain with 50 soldiers to arrest Elijah. They found him sitting on top of a hill. The captain said to him, man of God, the king has commanded you to come down with us. Elijah replied to the captain, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven to destroy you and your 50 men. Then the fire fell from heaven and killed them all. So the king sent another captain with 50 men. The captain said to Elijah, man of God, the king demands that you come down at once. You see, the first guy didn't say at once. You know, that, that adds something so important there. Come down at once. Elijah replied, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. And again, the fire of God fell from heaven and killed them all. Y'all know God can do this all day. Once more, the king sent a third captain with 50 men. But this time the captain went up the hill and fell to his knees before Elijah. He pleaded with him, oh man of God, please spare my life and the lives of these your 50 servants. See how the fire from heaven came down and destroyed the first two groups. Now please spare my life. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went with him to the king. And Elijah said to the king, this is what the Lord says. Why did you send messengers to Beelzebub, the God of Akron, to ask whether you will recover? Is there no God in Israel to answer your question? Therefore, because you've done this, you will never leave the bed you're lying on. You will surely die. So Ahaziah died. Just as the Lord had promised to Elijah. Since Ahaziah did not have a son to succeed him, his brother Joram became the next king. This took place in the second year of the reign of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The rest of the events in Ahaziah's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Well, maybe there's a reason I never preached that. It's an interesting Ahaziah doesn't think much of the God of Israel, does he? Ahaziah doesn't think much of the God of Israel. We don't know much of anything about this man. Uh, the, the scripture at the, at the end of 1 Kings, all it tells us is that he was wicked just like his mama and daddy. He was just like them. It's the only place in scripture where it says that uh, somebody followed in the path of his mother. <laughs> but he followed in the path of his wicked mother, Jezebel, and he becomes a, a, a man just like his parents. One day, he, his life comes crashing down. When he comes crashing down, he, he falls off a balcony. It's hard to know exactly what the text is saying. He falls from some heights uh, outside of his palace and, uh, and, and is very seriously injured. Not dead yet, 
but very seriously injured. Uh, we don't even know his injuries. And, and the thing is, that, you know, the, the doofus here, uh, he, he, all he wants is the prognosis. You know, it, it, it's like he's even asking the wrong question. Because he's not asking, you know, is, is therapy an option? Is surgery an option? Can we get some x-rays? You know, this, I know this is before, you know, you know, telehealth medicine and all of that. But, but still, all he's asking is, I'm going to live or die. Is this going to kill me? It's just amazing. But he doesn't ask the question of the God of Israel. Now, he knows the God. He's wicked, but he knows the God. He's the king of Israel, you all. He knows the God of Israel. Actually, the name Ahaziah is a name that comes from the name of God. The name Ahaziah means something like vision of the Lord, which is just weird to think that Jezebel and Ahab even named their son, you know, with something of a religious name, but they did. His name means Ahaziah, vision of the Lord, but he does not... Trust, so he obviously doesn't think much of the Lord at all because when he needs something, I mean, when it's life or death and, and he needs to know, am I going to live or die? Notice he goes out of network to get the prognosis. And so God sends Dr. Elijah to make a house call. It's amazing how in this, I mean, just crazy story, you know, fire falling from heaven, you know, twice, you know, burning 50 men up at the same time. The king just continuing to send more men. It's, it's just so insane. But, but the one thing that never changes in the whole story is the word of the Lord. Never, ever changes. And it's just the most amazing diagnostic question, I would say. Is there no God in Israel? I mean, this is what the Lord sends back. This is the message for Ahaziah. Is there no God in Israel? When Ahaziah wants a medical opinion, notice he sends way out. Akron is an old Philistine city, so it's Philistine territory to get an an inquiry from the temple of Beelzebub. Beelzebub is, it becomes a name for Satan, you all. It just literally means Lord of the Flies. Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. So Ahaziah wants a message from the Lord of the Flies. Flies are typically gathered around something that's dead. So at Akron, they honored Baal as the Lord of the Flies, the, the, the God of, of healing the God who perhaps could bring you know, life back from death, it's, it's that whole idea, Lord of the flies. He's somehow master of death. He's not, and, and that's the point. Why in the world are you asking for a medical opinion from Akron? He's sending messengers. Understand that there's not going to be any medical assessment, no x-rays taken, no, no doctor will see him. He just wants to know from the temple of Akron, somebody tell me, am I going to live or die? So God sends Elijah to intercept the messenger so they never even make it to Akron. Elijah just shows up there with a message from the Lord. And, and for some reason, these messengers of the king, that they abandon the order of the king. They just go back with the message. Is there no God in Israel? It's a rhetorical question, of course, because we know that there is. We know that there is. And Ahaziah knows that there is, and that's the point. This is God's way. You ever heard anybody say, what am I, chopped liver? You know what I mean? Like, what am I, chopped liver? It's that idea that, that you're going elsewhere as if I'm not God, as if there's no God. Is there no God in Israel? 
He says, see, of course there is, and Ahaziah knows that there is, but the interesting thing is, Ahaziah is acting like there is no God in Israel. By his actions, it seems he doesn't believe there is a, a God in Israel. So understand, the diagnostic question here that Dr. Elijah delivers is just simply, if God is God, why are you acting like God's not God? If God is God, why are you acting like God's not God? It turns out he is going to die. Ahaziah is terminal. But notice Elijah makes no reference to broken bones, you know, a horribly you know, bruised spleen, concussion, broken neck. I mean, no, there's no mention whatsoever of injuries related to the fall. Because as it turns out, this is more of a cardiac problem. This is more of a spiritual problem problem and the diagnosis is spiritual and you have to understand it's Ahaziah's stubborn refusal to turn to the Lord that is going to condemn him. Elijah says you're never even going to leave the bed you're lying in. You are surely going to die. But understand it's not because of injuries related to the fall. It's because God's going to pull the plug. God's going to pull the plug. Elijah's God, the God of Israel, that God, the only God. You understand, if God is God, why are you acting like God's not God? God's done with you. I mean, that's the, the message. I think it's interesting. This spiritual malady that afflicts wicked King Ahaziah, he wasn't the first one to have that kind of heart. That heart that knows God but will not surrender to God. I mean, his parents were like that. Now he's like that. But I also want to tell you, he's not the last one like that. He's certainly not the last person ever to live to know that God is God, but then go ahead and act like God's not God. I would call this kind of a spiritual pandemic. There's a whole lot of people afflicted with what it was that finally killed Ahaziah. It's a spiritual problem. It's a, it's, a, it's a heart problem. In this current moment of our lives, our nation, our world is scrambling to get people vaccinated against what is a, a new virus, the novel coronavirus. It's just insane that we're living through these times. Um, vaccinations are amazing, and, and they've been around a long, long time. And, and they operate on a very simple principle. And that is just simply you expose somebody to a very measured, um, a, a very measured degree of the virus itself. And, and, and that little bit of exposure, it, it, it triggers a kind of resistance. So that then when you're going to be exposed again to that same virus, your body will recognize it and resist it. It's really amazing science. And in this case, the, 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 the vaccination against COVID, uh, the, the COVID-19, the virus that causes COVID-19, it's not even the virus. It's not even a, a, a part of the virus. It's, it's the, smallest, uh, the smallest little particle of one of the spike proteins. So it's not even the virus. It's just the smallest little feature that, that makes COVID-19 unique. And, and so that, that little spike protein is, is what's in that vaccine. And, and, and once you're exposed to that, your body then will recognize it. And the, the idea is it'll fight it next time that it, 
is exposed. It's just the vaccine, you know, miracle. It's, it's how it works. And again, they've been around a long, long time. The interesting thing is through the years, uh, there have been plenty of people who've, who've talked about that, that idea of, an, of, of inoculation as sort of a spiritual phenomenon. It's kind of a, you can think of it in spiritual ways. In other words, there is this tendency for some people um, to be exposed to Christianity, to be exposed to, to God, to the Lord, to the things of the Lord. But, but their exposure isn't really enough. It's not enough of an exposure to make them like, you know, break out in a full-blown case of faith. You know, it's not enough of an exposure to cause a person to fall down and begin to worship the Lord. Instead, it's just enough. People get just enough Jesus, just enough exposure to inoculate them. So, so in other words, people develop a kind of resistance to the truth, resistance to the gospel. And it's the strangest kind of thing. But, but I would honestly say, I think it happens all the time. I mean, uh, there are lots and lots of people who sit in pews, like the pews you're sitting in, or watch a, a sermon online, like you're watching a sermon online, and, and y- you know, you've done this so many times, you've heard the Word of God so many times, you've heard the gospel so many times, that honestly, there's a party that says, here we go again, but you've never gone the first time. You don't seem to realize that you've heard it all before, but you've never listened You've never actually heard it, but the fact that you're familiar with it now, it it gives you a kind of resistance. You can hear the Bible read, you can hear other people pray, and nothing in your heart moves whatsoever because honestly, you have become completely immune to the power of the gospel, that there's this inoculation that's taken place in the hearts of so many people. One of my, I love the pastor, his name is Craig Rochelle. He wrote a book called The Christian Atheist, which is just an unbelievable title when you think about it. But this is really, uh, this is Pastor Craig's point. He, he, he talks about people who live as practical atheists. Now, I know you're thinking, Pastor, I'm not an atheist. Can't you not see I'm in church? I see you're in church. I want you to understand, listen to what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that you don't believe that there's a God. I think that you believe there is a God, but that's the strange thing. A practical atheist is a person who believes that God is alive and real. And I'd say everybody in this room, you would say, yes, I believe God is alive and real, but but stay with me. A practical atheist is a person who believes that God is alive and real, but then lives every day like he's not. You might as well be an atheist. You understand what I'm saying? Because the fact that that you believe, it never, ever changes in any way the manner in which you live your life. King Ahaziah knows there's a God in Israel, but he acts like there's not. And that's the kind of spiritual malady that I really want you to pay attention to. I want you to consider the fact that this might describe you. You might as well be an atheist. The fact that you believe doesn't affect in any way the, the way you think, the, the way you live your life. It hasn't changed your attitudes. It hasn't changed your vocabulary. It hasn't changed the way you make decisions. It didn't change the way you raised your kids. It didn't change the way you, you conducted yourself in your marriage. Your belief in God makes zero difference to you. You might as well be an atheist. 
Does it sound harsh? I, I don't want to sound harsh, but, but, but honestly, this is a serious problem. I, I see this as a, a, a quickly spreading spiritual pandemic. So many people who take the name of Jesus call themselves Christians, say they believe in God, but they live like everybody else. You have to understand, that's not what belief looks like. So let's just, if if this is a spiritual malady, if we can talk about it that way, if it's a pandemic that's spreading, like I would say that it is, then then let's talk about the uh, symptoms, right? The symptoms, there are lots of them, but let's just talk about some of the symptoms. Here's one I would just say this. You, you say you got saved, but nothing about you ever changed. I mean, the old folks used to talk about salvation. They call it conversion. Old folks used to give testimonies. They talk about, you know, back when I made my change. In other words, they lived out the gospel, which says that if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creature, a new creation. Everything old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But that's the thing. You got saved, but you just continued to live your old life. You never changed. Nothing changed. That's a bad sign for you. That's a symptom of something seriously wrong. Because if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things, are, everything old is passed away. All things are made new. If, if nothing about you ever changed, you really need to go back and ask yourself if you were ever saved in the first place. You say you got saved, but honestly, nothing ever changed. You say you live for Jesus, but mostly you live for yourself. I mean, you, you do, don't you? You just live for yourself. You make decisions based on what you want to do, what's convenient for you, what makes sense to you. You, you make job decisions based on what's going to get you more money. I mean, you just sort of live for yourself. You don't, you don't really consider God's will for your life or God's purpose. You don't even ask about God's purpose for your life. You just assume your purpose is to enjoy yourself, to make money, to have a nice house, have a good life. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but don't just live your life for yourself and then tell yourself you're living for Jesus. You live for Jesus, he's your Lord. I mean, there's not any other arrangement available to you. You're not just going to have Jesus like uh, in your life as a consultant. You know, when you run up against a question or, or like just 911 when something's on fire and you really need God. None of this works that way. It's, it's not you just can have God, you know, kind of on referral. Either you belong to him or you don't. Either he's Lord of your life or he's not. But there's no arrangement available to you where you get to run your own life and then just Jesus comes along behind and blesses what you want to do. That, that's not salvation. That's not the Christian life. But a lot of people say they live for Jesus. Mostly they're just living for themselves. You say you believe in prayer, but you, you rarely pray. And I, I, I keep going back to prayer, but... but Prayer is the central nerve of the life of faith. And if you don't pray, then I don't know what kind of life of faith you have. You you say you love Jesus and belong to Jesus, but if that love and belonging doesn't stir you to want to talk to him, I got some serious questions about what you call your love for Jesus. I'm not just talking about blessing your food or now I lay me down to sleep. I'm talking about praying. You're a grown-up. Do you pray? 
grown-up prayers? Do you, do you thank him? Do you worship him? Like as a, as a regular part of your life, do you confess your sins to him? Do you take your request? Do you ask and seek and keep on knocking at his door? Because this is the life of prayer. If you do not have a life of prayer, I don't think you can say you have a life of faith. I mean, honestly, if you don't really pray, you could be an atheist. I had an atheist couple come to me once to, get, to marry them. Right off, I'm thinking, they're weird. Yeah, these are like the worst atheists I've ever, like, they came to a Baptist preacher to do their wedding. They said, would you marry atheists? I said, you betcha I would. Please come see me. If you'll meet with me three times, I'll do your wedding. I mean, I, mean, I want to meet atheists who want a Baptist wedding. That's just kind of in me, you know. So I, 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 I really learned to love them. They're a great couple. They just had never known the Lord. But the amazing thing was like at the end of session three, we had shared so much and I had a good relationship with them. And um, I asked about spiritual things and the man reminded me, you know, pastor, I told you I'm an atheist. I said, I, I know, I, I know. I'm, I'm sorry to bring that back up. I remember that you're an atheist. Do you pray? He said, oh yeah. I said, you're a terrible atheist. He said, what do you mean? I said, you pray. And he looked at me like he'd never considered that contradiction. And I just said, what do you pray? And he said, I never thought about it. I just continually um, ask God to bless me and to help me to be a better man. And <laughs> I said, you're the worst atheist I've ever <laughs> met in my... It's, it's just strange. He never considered that contradiction. And, and some of you in the opposite way, you've never considered the contradiction that you say you believe in prayer, but you don't pray. You say you love the Lord, but you don't have a relationship which even involves talking you know, and listening to his voice. Um, you, you go to church, but your attitudes, your desires, your words, and your habits come from the world. I mean, what is it that's distinctly Christian about your life, about the way you're raising your kids? I mean, Netflix is raising your kids, and you have any idea the way in which they're being shaped by the culture? I mean, you go to church, but, but honestly, going to church is just in some ways a habit, a, a spiritual habit, a, a cultural kind of thing, but... But, but in many ways, so many of us, we, we go to church, but we, we're obviously children of the world. We think like the world. We act like the world. We spend money like the world spends money. We watch the same shows that the world's watching. We use the same words. I mean, we, we're no different from the world. And Jesus sends us into the world to be different. He says, you're going to be salt in the world. You're going to be light in the darkness. But we just go to church, and then we go out there, and we just are as dark as everything else. We are not in any way distinctive, and there's something seriously wrong with, with, with church people who don't live like Jesus, who, who don't love Jesus, who don't live sold out to Jesus. You go to church, but everything about you is just like the world. That's not a good sign. You say you believe that God exists, but you live like he doesn't. I'm just telling you, you might as well be an atheist. Would your life be in any way different 
Like, like if you just became an atheist, I'm not encouraging you to become an atheist. I want you to pay attention to the way your life works. Like if you right now said, okay, I am no longer going to talk about Jesus out, you know, I'm not going to talk about Jesus at work. Would anybody notice? Like you talk about Jesus enough that if you stop talking about Jesus, somebody say, what, what, what's up with you? See, you don't talk about Jesus. You don't seem to understand that. I mean, so, so, you know, in what way are you actually a Christian? Because you're just like everybody else. You know, like if you said, okay, as of right now, I'm not going to pray anymore. Would that really disrupt your habits? Would that interrupt your flow whatsoever? Do you pray enough now that if suddenly you stop praying, you'd have to find something to do with all the extra time? I mean, you say you believe that God exists, but, but has that affected the way you raise your kids? Like if you said, you know, as of right now, I'm going to give up on discipling my kids. They're on their own. Would it make any difference? Like if you just said, I'm done. I'm going to let the church have them. I mean, would it make any difference? Would your kids notice a difference if all of a sudden you, 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 you weren't trying to, do you understand what I'm saying? Like you might as well be a non-believer because there's nothing distinctive. What you call your faith hasn't in any way changed your heart, changed your mind, changed the way you live your life. And so I'm just, it comes back down to the question Dr. Elijah asked Ahaziah, is there no God in Israel? In my case, I would ask you, is, is there no God in your life? I mean, is, do you have God in your life? Real quickly, I'm going to go back to Craig's show. Um, Craig, he's just amazing in the way he's, he talks about so many people who are just Christians in name only, just nominal Christians. And for Pastor Craig, he talks in, in terms of what he calls third-line faith. Third-line faith. So, so I'm going to think in terms of, of three lines of faith that, that, that a person crosses, okay? Um, the first line of faith is the people who just sort of, they would say, I believe enough to benefit from it. So in other words, when it comes to the message of Jesus, the gospel message, you, you have stepped across the line, but it's just that line where, you know, you're enough into this where as long as it's doing something for you, you'll stay in it. Understand? I believe enough to benefit from it. So that I'm talking about here that those of us who, um, again, we just really are only in the church enough to, uh, to feel like it's helping us. You know, so if, if the church service is moderately entertaining to you or if you feel like you have friends at church or it, it's just that sort of thing. If you feel like God's going to give you a home in heaven when you die, you know, uh, that's you. You are in it just enough to, to benefit from it. But honestly, if the benefits were to disappear, you would too. So this isn't actually Christian faith. This isn't, you know, stepping over from life into death the way the scriptures talk about salvation. So understand, some of us, it's more cultural Christianity. We just sort of cross the line where we can get some of the benefits. Does it make sense? Um, the second line that, that Pastor Craig talks about is, is this one. It's, it's a little deeper. This is a person who's, who believes enough to give a little bit but not too much. You know, so, so th this is the person who, whose involvement with the things of the Lord go a little further. They'll give some, but they're not going to give a lot, you know. So these are the folks who, you know, come to church every Sunday or nobody. These days, the typical church attender comes to church two times a month. 
In, in my lifetime, I've watched that change. And, and honestly, some of you, some of you, and I'm looking at you, I've been your pastor 25 years. Some of you came to church every time the door was open when I was your pastor 25 years ago. Now you come two or, two or three times a month. And people who go to church two or three times a month typically say that they are regular churchgoers. So the whole definition of a faithful person in our culture has changed. You don't have to come all the time anymore. You know, just, just when it, you know, as long as there's not a ball game, you know, or whatever the Miss America pageant on Sunday. I mean, whatever it is that, that gives you a reason to stay home. But it said, I'll give a little bit, but, but not too much. You know, so I'll volunteer, you know, a little bit. I'll, I'll help you once a year on the Easter parade or, or whatever. It's that sort of thing, but, but, but never too much. You're not going to get carried away. You're never, you know, going to sacrifice. You're not going to give anything till it hurts because this is just sort of a, a Christianity of convenience for you. So you don't mind giving a little bit because you understand Jesus died for you, but, you know, you've got your limits, a whole lot of us, you know, th this is our idea of Christianity. But again, the idea is that true biblical discipleship is crossing this third line. And that is just simply, I believe enough to give my life. I will follow Jesus. I mean, Jesus says you have to take up your cross and follow him. Which is to say, you have to be willing to lay down your life for him. You, you, you can't say you surrender everything, but then you hold stuff back for yourself. This isn't how it works. It, it's the third line, and it's that line of commitment. I'm not saying that salvation is by works. I'm not saying that at all. It's a complete gift from Jesus. He paid everything in order to purchase your salvation, but you have to want salvation. You have to want the whole thing. You can't just ask for you know, teaspoons full of blessing from the Lord, but you, you really don't want the whole you know, case of Christianity opened up on you. Honestly, it, it, is this you? That, that third line of faith, have you crossed that? Or, or are you still sort of dancing up here? You know, dancing around, you know, having God in your life, but is there Christ in your life? I mean, Elijah didn't need an x-ray, an MRI. He didn't need a, you know, a, a rapid test. <laughs> this is his rapid test. Is there no God in Israel? King Ahaziah, is there no God? Because if there is a God, why are you acting like there's not? Is, is there no God? And the fact is, Ahaziah never really answers that question because he doesn't really have to. It wouldn't matter what he would say to answer that question because his life has already answered that question. Understand? No matter what he says, his life already demonstrates that he does not believe very much in the God of Israel. He's going to the Lord of the flies. So uh, um, here's your diagnostic question. Is Christ in your life? Is, is, is Christ in your life, you don't have to answer me. Because honestly, what you, what you would say with your mouth wouldn't really matter much. Because your life already speaks.
pray with me? God, we have told ourselves that we believe that you were alive and real. We have told ourselves that we have uh, become Christians. And yet, Lord Jesus, there's so little in our lives that reflects the power, grace, and mercy, and love of your great life. Paul said that he had been crucified with Christ. Even so, it's not he who lives, but Christ you know, who lives in him and Lord Jesus, I don't know if we could say that. It doesn't seem like the life that we live every day is actually somehow Jesus living through us. We don't talk the way Jesus would talk. We don't love the way Jesus would love. We don't care about the things that Jesus would care about. Lord, our life speaks. No matter what our words say, our lives speak. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would surrender ourselves to you, that we would cross that line called commitment and truly surrender ourselves to you, not, not just parts of ourselves, not just our Sunday morning, not just the tiniest little portions when we want to feel pious. Oh, Lord God, may we give all of ourselves to you, for you have given your complete self for us. Lord, I pray that men, women, boys, and girls in this house today will look deeply into their own hearts. And if, Lord, they look in their hearts and they don't see you there, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would show yourself to them in a big way. Let them see their need. Let them see the danger of the path that they're walking on. Let them see the way they have deceived themselves. Lord Jesus, let us all turn to you. There is a God in this place. There is a God who is reaching out to us. Lord Jesus, let us not walk out of here like there's not. Pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.